This is episode 272 of That Shakespeare Life. Just like the work of William Shakespeare, That Shakespeare Life is supported by our patrons. Listeners just like you can help support our show, contribute directly to programming, and access an entire library of bonus episodes not available on public listening platforms. Check out all of the bonuses, extra content, and bonus history about Shakespeare and his life in 17th century England when you become a patron at patreon.com slash that Shakespeare life. That's patreon.com slash that Shakespeare life. Hi, I'm Dean Snow, author of The Extraordinary Journey of David Ingram. Another great method for studying the life of William Shakespeare includes listening to this, That Shakespeare Life, with my friend Cassidy Cash. It was in 1567, so two years after those original 30 families came to Norwich, or almost 30 families came to Norwich, that we have a refugee crisis. Welcome to That Shakespeare Life with Cassidy Cash. Cassidy believes that if you desire to successfully learn or perform Shakespeare's plays, then understanding the real life and history of William Shakespeare himself is a must. That Shakespeare Life is the podcast that helps you go beyond the curtain of some of Shakespeare's most iconic works and explore the world of early modern England as Shakespeare would have lived it, learning from the writers, historians, and performers who know it best. And now, here's Cassidy. In the 16th century, one man from Norwich, Thomas Southerton, wanted to encourage refugees to settle in Norfolk, especially because the immigrant skills in textile weaving made them valuable to the economy. To that end, he set up what became known as Strangers Hall, where the immigrants could live and work. The property was owned by people who had used it for business and living accommodation, which was a common practice for medieval merchants' dwellings. Therefore, Strangers wasn't built or established for the strangers arriving in 1565, but was used by them as an available property. Only one known family lived in the hall from 1567, and there's a letter written by the family lodging there that refers to the property as Master Southerton's property in the High Street. The hall is used as a museum today, and we're delighted to welcome Museum's Assistant Curator of Social History, Bethan Holdridge, to the show to tell us about the background of Strangers Hall and the impact of the influx of refugees to the area during Shakespeare's lifetime. Bethan Holdridge has worked for Norwick Museum Services for nearly 20 years. As a curator of social history, she is something of a jack-of-all-trades. However, she has a particular interest in the development of medieval households, dining etiquette, and the fascinating history of everyday things. You can see Bethan talking about airplanes on the television show Plane Resurrection. She is one of the main leads in Norfolk Museum Service, gaining its Museum of Sanctuary Award, and works closely with charities welcoming people who are newly arrived into the city of Norwich by helping them to access the museums and ensuring that they have a representation in our collections and displays. In her spare time, Bethan is a Morris dancer and teaches two local sides. In 2000, Bethan was one of six dancers and two musicians who recreated Will Kemp's Morris dance from London to Norwich. Learn more about Bethan and Norwich Museum Service in the show notes for today's episode. Hello, Bethan. Welcome to That Shakespeare Life. Hi, Cassidy. How are you? I am doing very well, and I'm very excited to talk about Strangers Hall. We have never covered this yet on our show. And I wonder if you could tell us about the people that were 
the strangers that the, the hall is named after. Who were the refugees coming to England in the 16th century? You know what? I wish I could give you a really straightforward answer to that. But as you know, everything in history is very complicated. So first of all, Strangers Hall, the name Strangers Hall, we now tell the story of the strangers, which I'll go into in just a second. But we don't know for sure whether the hall was named after those refugees. The term strangers in early English, I suppose we could say, could be anybody who was from outside of your area. So in the records of Norwich in particular, about which we're going to be speaking about this evening, basically, we have a reference to a stranger from the 13th century. He appears in the court records and he's a stranger because he's outside of the medieval city walls. So he's seen as being somebody from outside of Norwich. So the term stranger meant anyone who was from outside of your locality. Where strangers in Norwich differ in particular is in 1565, the person who was living and owned Strangers Hall, Thomas Southerton, he invited some weaver families to Norwich to rejuvenate our flagging textile industry. It was in a really bad way. These weavers came from what we call the low countries, so Flanders, Holland, um, we have northern France, Walloons, but the original 30 families had actually settled elsewhere in the country before then. So we know that some of them were invited. They were all living in Sandwich, for example, or they were living in Canterbury. They came to Norwich, probably not all 30 who were originally invited. It was in 1567, so two years after those original 30 families came to Norwich, or almost 30 families came to Norwich, that we have a refugee crisis for not even for want of a better term it was a crisis the low countries were being attacked by the catholic spanish and they were protestant and it was religious persecution in the extreme they would have been killed if if they had if they didn't have roman catholic artifacts in their homes so they fled to Norwich, amongst other places, there was a significant number of that that came. There were 1,800 incomers in 1567, and that is a population of Norwich that we believe to be 13,000. The reason we're not being too clear about that is because although they did a census of the strangers because they became an identified group of people, they didn't have a census of the population. And that's because there was concern about such a large influx of people to the city. So the Strangers Hall could be called Strangers Hall because Thomas Southerton invited those first Weaver families in 1565. However, the term was not used, written down until 1841. And there is a theory that it could relate to by this time it was being used as a Roman Catholic presbytery and they could be the strangers. So I wish I could give you a really straight answer there Cassidy rather than a massive lengthy one but uh, that is the story really of Strangers Hall in a nutshell. So was Strangers Hall originally Thomas Southerton's personal home? 
Yes, it was. So the oldest part of Strange Hall is the Undercross. And the Undercross was like a warehouse for the merchant. It's a stone building, so it's waterproof. It's fire, well, it's not waterproof. It leaks all the time. <laughs> no, it was waterproof. It's not so much anymore. It's fireproof. It keeps a relative humidity. It's also there for levelling off the house that was built above. And that dates back to 1320. And the person who owned Strangers Hall, let's call it Strangers Hall just for ease, the person who owned Strangers Hall then was Ralph the Middleton. And then several families have owned it since. So we talk about the Southerton family. Thomas Southerton isn't the first Southerton that lived there. We had Agnes and Nicholas Southerton were living there before him. And then after the Southertons, the Payne family come in and they all had it as their house but also a place of business. This is a medieval merchant's house. So the, it would have had a dual, well, even a, a, a tri-roll, let's call it a tri-roll. It had, there were many purposes to it. It was there as a merchant's house, so where he stored his wares, where he did his business, had his shop, where he lived with his family and all of his servants who helped him live as well. But also because these people who were living in Strangers Hall were the rich and the 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 well-to-do of Norwich. They became the ruling elite of Norwich and it became a place for entertaining the civic elite of Norwich and other places. So a bit of a showcase for Norwich. You would invite, I don't know, say the mayor of London. If he came to visit the mayor of Norwich, he would come to the mayor of Norwich's house, which would be Strangers Hall. So he's showing off Norwich as well. So there's lots going on in these medieval households. We can't see them as just a house where you live and then you go off to the office for business. There's more than one thing happening. So what updates were done on the structure of the house to make it suitable for the immigrants specifically? We honestly do not know exactly um, because there have been so many changes to Strangers Hall in its life. It has been subdivided. It has been added to. There's and there's just not a lot of evidence for what it was like. We do know that a lot of the strangers who came to Norwich, they would have lived in the alderman houses. So the alderman were part of the civic elite, the ruling elite of Norwich. We know that there was a family who lived in a wing of Strangers Hall. And thanks to the wonderful work of Alistair Duke and Chris Joby, I can actually read you an excerpt from a letter that was written from Strangers Hall, we believe, in 1567. And it describes it a little bit. Oh, I'm excited to hear this. Yes, please share. So this person, he wrote a letter from Strangers Hall in 1567, and he describes it a little bit. So we can get a sense of what the house was like then, even though we don't know if they made any particular changes to it. I can't think that they would because there's no talk about it in Strangers Hall archives or or, or in other, about other buildings. But the house is referred to as the House of Master Thomas, and it has been suggested by Christopher Joby, the house of Thomas Southerton, because he talks about it being on the high street. And we have found references to the street that Strangers Hall is currently on as being the high street. And it's described as a 
very fine princely dwelling he says i'm quite on my own here in the best part of the house with a fine furnished room and two small rooms to the side as closets for our room and a fine pleasing garden for me a fine cellar well that's very important isn't it you need a good cellar <laughs> um but we know that we've got a room at strangers hall that we call the great chamber which is right at the top end of the house right up high and it's got those two closets so like small cupboards um in and we believe that the person who wrote that letter was lodging in that part of the house in that room I don't think many of us are as familiar with medieval merchant homes as they would have been in the 16th century. So I wonder if you could explain for us practically, how did it work for the strangers to both run the house and run a business from this same location and not be you know, stepping all over the, the Southertons or the Paines or who, whoever was living there at the time who was using this as, as their estate? How did all of these different parts move together simultaneously at this location yeah that is interesting <laughs> again we don't know exactly we don't even know how long strangers hall was used as a lodging so pretty sure that by the time the pains were in there that would be the 1660s that there weren't strangers in there what the the, the person who wrote the letter we don't know who he is he deliberately used a pseudonym because if the letter was intercepted, which it was, then he needed to protect the identity of the people it was going to. So we aren't really able to say who he was or what he did, but we can make guesses from contextualisation. He's living in the house of Thomas Southerton in a fine princely dwelling. Some of the other strangers in Norwich were not so lucky. We know that another one of our museums, the Museum of Norwich at the Bridewell, talks about having some strangers in the cellars there. So they wouldn't have been living in such quite good conditions. So the chances are that the person, whoever they were, who were living, who was living in Strangers Hall, was somebody who perhaps was from the upper echelons in, say, Eep, which is where the letter was going to, maybe knew Thomas Southerton in a mercantile way. And so perhaps that having that connection, Thomas invited him into his house. Whether he then ran a business alongside Thomas Southerton in the house, sort of a mercantile business, we have no way of knowing. It's unlikely that he would have been a, a physical weaver with a workshop in Strangers Hall. Um, we do have a little bit of evidence talking about how the other strangers, so maybe some who weren't quite so rich and lucky, who were the weavers, had were working in sort of a workshop. We know that later on in the 18th century, a lot of the weavers had looms upstairs in their loft, in their garrets. So whether they eventually managed to establish a business up in their own homes, also, we know that a large proportion of the weavers were what were called wool combers. And this is part of the process of how to, of the weaving industry. And what wool combing does, um, so you might, I don't know if you know this, Cassie, or if any of your listeners know this, and they, they've ever been 
into like wool craft or anything like that but when when you prepare wool for spinning you have to card it which is like combing it I don't know if you've ever done that it's like if you imagine brushing your hair and getting all the knots out of it imagine you've been walking through you've been walking through a forest and through bushes and you've got all kind of tangles in your hair and bits of plant that's basically a sheep's fleece in the simplest terms you need to get all of that out so this carding gets all that straight the wool industry in Norwich in particular we had something which is called worsted industry worsted wool and it's a very very fine stable length of wool which means I don't. Do you have Pantene shampoo over there? Yes, we do. do. Now, I, I, yeah, we, yeah. we pronounce it Pantene, but I'm assuming that's wrong. <laughs> that, who knows? Pantene, Pantene. You say potato, I say potato. So there yeah. we go. Um, so, yeah. Or tomato, tomato, even. Absolutely. Yeah. There we go. So the, the analogy I like to use the best is pan, like Pantene shampoo. Right. It's It's advertised to make your hair like really long and so when you twist it it you don't get all those flicky bits out do you know what I mean because I do yeah exactly yeah I've got like frizzy hair (laughs) so it mine never does that I get the flicky bit that's a short staple length so if you were to spin my hair and then and then weave with it you'd get quite a a fluffy wool whereas the worsted wool was very it was pantene wool darling so it would make a really long silky skein and therefore the the wool would be really light but to do that you don't card you comb so they these combs are pretty hefty things but it's something that you could do is set up even in a small room so a lot of them were wool combers and it's very easy they could have been doing that in their shop or their house even so how long was strangers hall used as a business and a residence for uh, immigrants. I know you've mentioned that the records there for precise years are pretty vague, but I'm wondering if it was ever converted back into a large estate or, and and when did it become a museum like it is now? Yeah. So it, it never really sort of changed. It, when the strangers came, they didn't do mass changes. They would, they just sort of like lodged there, moved on. And so the house, didn't really there wasn't that big an impact it's like if you had a lodger in your house and then and they lived there for a couple of years and then went you might move some furniture around or something but you wouldn't be finding yourself uh, you know with a whole part of your house gone for a significant amount of time it would just be there'd be somebody else living there does that make sense Absolutely. So the actual structure is the same as it would have been across all of these centuries despite the function of what was going on inside varying yeah. between who was there yeah exactly and the function is more likely to change with how people live so the development in the way people used to live and, and in their houses is what changes the structure of strangers hall rather than the different people who were there it was quite used to as a sort of a medieval merchant building it, it's used to a lot of coming and going and a lot of different people there as a museum, it actually became a museum. It was bought by a local solicitor called Leonard Bolingbroke. And this was in 1896. It was in threat of demolition. And there were a lot of buildings around Norwich of the same vintage as Strangers Hall that were being demolished because they were basically so dilapidated. And he saw the potential of Strangers Hall and he bought it. 
he had took his inspiration from folk life museums in Europe and wanted to establish one in Norwich. And a folk life museum is basically it's how we live. So the collections that we house at Strangers Hall are obviously really beautiful furniture from the 16th, 17th, 18th centuries onwards. But we also have storerooms full of old toilet rolls and <laughs> all those sorts of things that people never think museums collect because we want to save stuff that would otherwise just get thrown away, but really reflect the time. So he, that was his beginnings and that was in 1896 and then this year we are celebrating 100 years as a city museum so he gave it to the city of Norwich and then it opened as a city museum in 1923 so that is an excuse for an enormous cake if ever I had one (laughs) I think so absolutely now how can we visit or explore the history of Strangers Hall further I mean we can come and visit Strangers Hall today You can. So it's open as a museum. Obviously, we're not open around the clock. (laughs) We have winter opening hours and summer opening hours. So so be careful is basically my my warning. Um, Google can often give our summer opening hours. So go to the Norfolk Museum's website to find the definitive opening time. At the moment, we're winter. So it's Wednesdays. Today, I was there today and Sunday afternoon. And then in the summer, it's Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Sunday afternoon. And the last Wednesday of every month, we have a free guided tour at half past two. So you'll be taken around and shown the building and told the stories of the people who lived there, as well as the stories of the, the strangers and who they were. And if you get me, you might get an extensive history of the plate because I'm very interested in the history of everyday things. Oh, that sounds fascinating. Definitely. If you're in Norfolk and can stop by and see this, check out the last Wednesday of the month and go on this guided tour. We'll place links to the Norfolk Museum website in our show notes so you can get connected directly and make sure to take advantage of that. Bethan, for those that are wanting to explore the history from afar and maybe aren't able to visit in person, what are some books or resources you can recommend we use to explore this part of history further? Yeah, so I've got what I call the definitive book clutched in my hands at the moment. It's called The Welcome Stranger, and the subtitle is Dutch, Walloon and Huguenot Incomers to Norwich, 1550 to 1750. And it's by a chap who used to be an archivist in the Norfolk Record Office, Frank Mears. I've mentioned Alistair Duke and Christopher Joby, who have both researched extensively on these early strangers. They tend to have more sort of papers rather than actual books, but there are a couple that are in journals. So a paper by Alistair Duke, so I mentioned the letters. The letters are a phenomenal resource because they are writing back and they're basically saying things like, oh, make sure that you dress well because everyone in Norwich goes well dressed. So you're getting sort of an insight to the everyday look of Norwich from people writing home. So the translation by Alistair Duke, eavesdropping on the correspondence between the strangers, chiefly in Norwich, is the Journal of Low Country Studies, volume 38, number two, pages 116 to 31. 
so that's always he that's it that's definitely a good call yeah and then yeah so that that's probably I think those two are the strongest Christopher Joby's far more about the Dutch language because he translated the the um actual letters Those are excellent resources. We will place links to these in the show notes for today's episode so you can find the correct spelling as well as the official titles and go directly to these resources and be able to read them and check out the book online. So make sure you stay tuned for the URL for the show notes so you can go and check out those. Bethan, we ask everyone this next question here at That Shakespeare Life, and that's what's the one book you would take with you on a deserted island? My friends in England tell me I'm supposed to allow you the complete works of Shakespeare and a copy of the Bible. So your choice would be... in addition to those? Yeah, thank you. Hardest question of the day, because I am, I love books. I'm such a bibliophile. So I've thought long and hard about this. And I think it would have to be, you know, if you do the complete work for Shakespeare, can I have the complete work for somebody else? I think Is that's that fair. Yes. I think yeah. that's fair. Okay. Because it would have to be the complete works of Jane Austen. I think that yeah. is a fabulous yeah. choice. You'd be, you'd be it, well entertained on your... Yeah. I, I'd need to, I think if I'm stuck on a desert island, I would need to think about Colin first. <laughs> <laughs> I think that would help. Yes. If you're stuck yeah, there, yeah, for sure. <laughs> um, and yeah, I'd say if you were to twist my arm up my back and say, you can't have like a compendium of, of Jane Austen, then I would, I would have to say Pride and Prejudice because, well, if she thought it was her best novel who am I to argue and I agree with it so I'm not going to try and be clever or quirky and say something that (laughs) I would otherwise be thinking oh I wish I'd I wish I'd gone with Pride and Prejudice but yeah if I can have the complete works I think we'll we'll allow you to take the complete works with a specific nod towards Pride and Prejudice because I love that book too yeah what's next for you what are you working on now that you're excited about Oh, do you know what? My job is so varied. Well, obviously, we've got the 100 years anniversary. So we're doing lots and lots of stuff uh, around that new displays, window displays, party. So I'm working on that. I'm at particularly for that coming up. I've got we've got refugee week at the end of the month in Norwich. And I work very closely with a local charity called English Plus. And last year we did peg dolls. Do you know what I mean by peg dolls? The little um, wooden... those little wooden dolls yeah. that are yeah. painted like characters. Yes. Yeah, we did. We did them in national costume, so that they all did them in the costume from which. And I, that's one of our new displays. So I'm tearing my hair out trying to get that all together. But it will be excellent when that comes up. So I think that's the, the main thing, kind of looming large at the moment. I think that sounds very exciting. Be sure to stop by Strangers Hall and celebrate their big anniversary and perhaps enjoy some of that celebratory cake as well. Bethan Holdridge, thank you so much for joining us today and sharing the history of Strangers Hall and who lived there and giving us just this slice of history look at what Norwich was like in the mid-16th century. This was really a fun conversation, and I thank you for being here. It's been an absolute pleasure. If you enjoyed our show today, please be sure to leave us a rating and a review on the platform you're listening from today. Every rating and review helps more Shakespeare historians find out about our show. And as you know, we love connecting with more Shakespeare friends. 
If you would like to see visual elements related to our conversation today, including pictures of Strangers Hall and more information on the resources that Bethan recommends in our conversation today, then check out the show notes for today's episode. You can find all of this history packed in at CassidyCash.com slash episode 272. That's CassidyCash.com slash EP272. If you would like to go even deeper into the history of the life of William Shakespeare and turn of the 17th century England the way he would have lived it, then consider becoming a patron of That Shakespeare Life. Patrons get access to over 150 additional episodes of our show, along with behind-the-scenes extras, sneak peeks at upcoming guests, slices of the research I'm working on week to week, and the chance to submit your own questions to be asked live on the air. There's also the option to sign up for bonus history, including hands-on activity kits that coordinate with Shakespeare's plays and with specific episodes of our show, which is great for educators that are using our podcast in their classrooms. There's games, recipes, crafts, along with merchandise and all kinds of bonus history extras going on inside the patrons area. If this sounds fun to you, then check us out and sign up today at patreon.com slash that Shakespeare life. That's patreon.com slash that Shakespeare life. That Shakespeare Life is researched and produced by me, Cassidy Cash. Our audio engineer is Gary Mayholm. That's it for this week. Thank you for listening. I'm Cassidy Cash, and I hope you learn something new about the Bard. I'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to That Shakespeare Life. As always, the best conversations happen after the episode over at CassidyCash.com. Become a part of a vibrant Shakespeare conversation by adding your voice over at the website. Until next time, remember, when you want to know William Shakespeare, you have to go behind the curtain and into That Shakespeare Life.